Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Global Football Show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown, joined with my regular co-host, the excellent Zach Lowy. Uh, you know where to find Zach, of course. We are recording this immediately after the Portugal game. Probably the best day of football we've had in the World Cup uh, for excitement and goals and everything else. Lots to talk about. We'll talk about, of course, the games we saw today. We'll talk about the games on the horizon, the US-Iran game. Iran game, excuse me, I'd like to pronounce that correctly. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about Lionel Messi coming to uh, MLS. Um, first of all, Zachy, how you doing, brother? Well, doing very well. Excited to be this World Cup on the Global Football Show. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot to discuss today. We do. Before we get into this, uh, Zach, I want to make a special mention to Derek Gray. Uh, who I think is probably one of the top commentators in the world, someone I've fortunate enough to know personally, total gentleman. But one of the things that makes Derek stand out for me is his research and attempt to make sure he uh, pronounces people's names correctly, something we've discussed on the show. That matters, you know. I mean, we talk about... Some people trivialise this, but I'm quite sure if people were calling... Um, Martin Peters, uh, of course, one of the great um, uh, English players. Martin Peters, I would irritate people um, because it's not the correct pronunciation of his name. So it, it, this does matter. Uh, Derek Gray does a fantastic job of researching uh, local pronunciations of players' names and does a fantastic job of doing that. Um, that matters, so I want to give a special mention to him. Uh, first of all, Zach, let's talk about the Portugal game. Because uh, quite, uh, quite, quite the game, brilliant game football between two very, very good teams. What do you make of that? Yeah, very fun uh, fixture. I was expecting a fairly low-scoring fixture, um, considering the fact that Portugal didn't need uh, a win. You know, they, they would have taken a draw, but overall, I thought they opened the game very well. They were clearly the better side for the opening 30 minutes. Um and I thought Cristiano Ronaldo as well did well to get involved early on. Mm -hmm. You saw that um, kind of shoulder pass where he sets up a yeah. good goal-scoring opportunity. And then uh, I remember Finch player won a header and did very well to get some height on that, knock it down. But uh, yeah, you were seeing a Portugal team that I think similar to the Ghana match uh, had a lot of possession but didn't necessarily know what to do with that. And I think that part of that was because of Fernando Santos's midfield selections. Um, I think that having William Carvajal and Ruben Neves in the same team is a little bit uh, redundant, shall I say. I think that's too much in the way of passing uh, horizontally. Not enough uh, quick counters and opening up the opposition so it was clear that Uruguay were happy to let uh, Portugal have the ball, and uh, but but they didn't really do that much with it early on. And frankly, um, if I was Fernando Santos, I'm I know that Danilo Pereira he started the first match. He will miss the rest of the group stage. I'm not I'm not 100 sure if Otavio will be back for the South Korea match. But if he's not, um, I would like to see both William and Ruben Neves. Uh, dropped from the team, perhaps for, uh, I think, João Paulinha and mm. Vitinha, or potentially even uh, going with an attacking sub and putting Rafael Leal, giving him a chance to impress from the start. Um, I, I would drop both of them, though. I thought that those were two of the weak links 
from today. I also think, um, and, and it's one thing that I've been saying for a while, I didn't think Bernardo Silva really got going uh, offensively. I thought that, yeah, he didn't do enough going forward, but he made up for it in, in just, I mean, you see it every game for City, just the amount mm-hmm. of pitch that he covers um, on and off the ball. Really important in making sure that, you know, Uruguay, a lot of times if they did win possession, they'd lose it just 30 seconds later. Yeah. I thought that was a really big miss for them. Um, overall, yeah, a disjointed attack for La Celeste. I think that um, Diego Alonso, he made a few changes. Santos obviously taking out Danilo and um, Otavio for uh, for William Carvajal and Pepe. But uh, I think that Diego Alonso's he made a few subs as well, a, f- a few changes from the South Korea game, one of which was Darwin Nunez, was, was um, Edinson Cavani on for Luis Suarez. And I think that definitely says a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, so many times, so many years watching Uruguay in major tournaments, we've become accustomed to both of them, right? They're, those mm-hmm. are Uruguay's two top leading scorers, 68 and 58 goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suarez, number one, Cavani, number two. This time it was, uh, you know, one or the other. And I think that was definitely part to their, their pace, uh, yeah. or lack of pace, as well as match fitness. You know, I know I've, I've watched a little bit of Nacional this season, and Suarez does not usually last 90 minutes. So I think that's something that they needed to manage the health of both. But it does almost feel like they're handing the baton to Darwin Nunez, who I felt you know, had some decent moments, but overall, yeah, was a bit too hurried in possession as usual. Interestingly, I think that the player I was least... Uh, Maxi Gomez, who, who mm-hmm. came on, I thought he had probably the best chance of all the strikers. The other chance from the other major chance for Uruguay, I think, came with um, a bit of individual brilliance from Rodrigo Bentancur, which I think as well exploiting perhaps William and Neves being a bit too similar to one another. Um, but but uh, Bentancur uh, doing very well to to escape players and Diogo Costa give him credit had a bit of a mistake uh in the final minutes mm-hmm. against Ghana Ooh, he was lucky. Himself, I thought by coming off his line and uh got you know Uruguay they didn't put Portugal under that much pressure though and I thought that yeah it was only a matter of time before the goal came you know I think that Portugal they got it via um Bruno Fernandes obviously don't want to uh don't want to give Cristiano Ronaldo no credit for his role because I definitely think mm. his presence certainly distracted uh, Sergio Rochette in goal, and then of course uh, Santos. Um, it, it was it was becoming apparent that Uruguay were able to uh, put Portugal on the back burners for really the first time all match around the 77th minute, and Santos, you know, to his credit, made some substitutions. Um, you had Ruben Neves coming off, of course, received a booking earlier on, um, came off, I believe, uh, Rafael Leal, Paulinha, um, and uh, Gonzalo Ramos coming on for Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I may be missing a few. Obviously, Nuno Menz, uh, really heartbreaking to see him you know, on his World Cup debut, forced to come off before halftime for Rafael Guerrero. But, yeah, I think that Portugal, they deserved this win. Uh, they, they, got a pen, they got a penalty later on, which 
I felt I felt was the penalty. Um, I, th I think that uh, they were right to award it, and Bruno does very well to convert. Came very close as well to scoring a hat-trick in the mm -hmm. final minutes. But, uh, yeah, it was a performance that, I must say, was a lot more one-sided than I was expecting. Uh, I was expecting Portugal and Uruguay to be gunning it out for first place in this group. And, yeah, I was expecting Uruguay to bounce back after such an in insipid uh, performance against uh, against South Korea. They mm -hmm. just weren't able to get going. They were just looked really disappointed. I think that uh, Diego Alonso went with a bit of a, uh, a conservative setup, if you will. I believe uh, you had Guillermo Varela, ex-United man, playing as a winger slash right wing back. Uh, with Martin Caceres, Diego uh, Godin, but, uh, and then as the back three. And look, while it's clear that Uruguay, they're not what they used to be, especially that year where they won the Copa America um, and reached the World Cup semifinals, they still have some very good players. Federico Valverde, Rodrigo yeah. Darwin, they have very good players. And I do feel almost that they've shot themselves in the foot by being a bit too defensive in the first two games. They never really got going. They're one of three teams alongside Mexico and um, Tunisia who have not scored a goal yet. And they're just going to have to rectify that. There's, uh, you know, time is running out for them. But I but I have to say, I felt that they were a lot more uh, focused on uh, fouling players and, and being overly physical than they were uh, actually playing football. How many times did they were they able to get forward and, and string together a few passes? How many times were they able to really test Diogo Costa? Uh, you know, they weren't. They were just really focused on uh, uh, using their physicality and putting in some, frankly, some late tackles, which I, I was expecting to eventually result in a sending off. It didn't. I think they were a bit lucky there. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think that it's clear that Portugal were the better team. And I don't think that uh, you know, two two zero is not a generous scoreline to the Celestial. I think in Uruguay's defence, and we're all guilty of this at times. We have to remember this is a country of four million people, and they consistently punch above their weight, and um, it's very difficult to replace players of the caliber of Cavani and Suarez. Um, Suarez, to me, looks overweight. Maybe I'm, I'm being unkind. Maybe the camera adds a couple of pounds. I don't know. Uh, doesn't look fit. Um, maybe could have benefited from another season in Europe. Um, I don't know. Uh, obviously, Nacional is a cl the, the club of his heart and he wants to play in his home country. There's nothing wrong with that, but he didn't look fit to me. Um, and I don't think you can play two 35-year-olds up front. I mean, Cavani was picking his games for United two years ago and doing the same with Valencia uh, due to his fitness issues. So um, you can't play him. For, for I mean, I don't. I think he completed completed three games for United in ninety minutes in two years. So um, very very hard to get ninety minutes out of him. Uh, and uh, obviously Suarez, you threw Suarez on if a chance falls. You you know to Suarez or Cavani, you fancy they'll take that. Um, obviously you look at what's coming through his Palestri. You know Palestri is a very very good young player, but is he at the level of what we had before? For, for me, I don't know what you thought, Phil. I, I know that he got dropped. 
he was one of the changes. He got dropped for Varela. Yeah. I thought that he was actually one of the few difference makers. I thought he was excellent when he yeah. came on, Zach. I really did. I thought he, he really added to remember this. And, you know, Maxi yeah. Gomez is shot to hit the post. You know, came from Palestri and he was very direct. Um, he had a good preseason with United, actually, and a good tournament would force him into Ten Hag's thoughts. So this is a big tournament, or it's not Ten Hag, someone else's. So this is a big, big tournament for him. Um, and I think Uruguay sort of have that feel, you know, they've got to replace Godin too, of coming to the end of an era. Um, where, you know, those, that golden generation that they had, you know, Valverde and all that, there's a magnificent player, don't get me wrong. Um, but I just feel like it's really, really hard for a country of that size to consistently replace. I mean, Croatia have a similar issue. Unbelievable. How do you replace someone like Modric? You know, obviously they've got this tremendous football culture that uh, allows them to develop these talents and the smallest country ever to win the World Cup. Uh, I think they are, you know, they they consistently punch above their weight, um, and we expect so much from them. Um, I think today, when I look at Portugal, I mean, you were ramming off the names, and you're just going a true embarrassment of riches of players that um, just so deep in quality, uh, very very dangerous team. Ronaldo playing with a point to prove. And I was wondering how would all this drama surrounding Ronaldo before the tournament affect Portugal? I I, I was wondering, would this be a negative? I, I remember an interview with Fernando Sanz uh, asking him about Ronaldo when he finally said, can you ask me about something else? You know, please stop asking me about Cristiano Ronaldo. And what would that do to camaraderie in the dressing room? What would that do to other players and their focus? So in many ways, I think it's good for Portugal that Ronaldo didn't score today and the headline is about someone else and about someone else delivering and someone else stepping up. Um, I mean, they have so much quality. You know, the question is, will someone like Pepe get caught at the back at 39? I don't know. Um, but uh, they've impressed me. And, and I thought that was a, I thought they played really, really well today. Um, you know, my appetite for this World Cup has grown. Um, over time, I certainly wasn't looking forward to it prior, and even the first couple of games kind of had me feel about it. But um, watching, I mean, I, I'm completely asleep. Deprived of getting up, watching these games, um, you know, surviving on 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 coffee and um, maybe a few other stimulants. That we'll not name here for legal purposes, um, but uh, somehow we I, I get through them, and um, you know, one to, to accentuate the positive. One of the things that's absolutely I love about the World Cup is just the amalgamation of different sporting cultures, fan cultures. That uh, you know, I love watching the African fans. The Guinean fans this today were just fantastic. The Senegalese fans, you know, they 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 bring such color to the tournament, and um, I really would love to see an African team. Cameroon fans as well today. Um, really would love to see an African team. Win the World Cup one day, I think it would be, I think it would be, uh, you know, just to see the fans, you know, the 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 way the the they such a unique fan culture, and um, I think I I think they had so much to the tournament, and I thought that Cameroon game day was excellent, really, really. I mean, they 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 um, they looked out of it three one down. Serbia, again, another country we expect too much from. You know, Serbia, 1% of Brazil's landmass. Unbelievable football culture, of course, in the Balkans. Um, and uh, But 
you know, there's a team, not since they were Serbia Montenegro, have they get out of the group stages. And I think they were in a really tough group. Excellent game today with Cameroon. Um, and, of course, Korea. Uh, were you surprised by what you saw in the other two games, Zach? With regards to the, the late... The Korea-Ghana game. Yeah. Um, the 3-2, of course, which Ghana were 2-0 uh, up to each. It's very similar in some sense where... You know, Serbia conceded two goals quickly for Cameroon to come back. Uh, and then, of course, exactly the same thing happened in the Korea game. Uh, Son Young-min, he he's had a difficult season, I suppose. And obviously, he's their main man. Um, it just hasn't happened for him at this tournament, has it? It really hasn't, Phil. I got to say, I think that Son is certainly one of my disappointments of the tournament thus far. Brilliant Still player. One game left. But uh, I'd put him in that conversation alongside, frankly, Kevin De Bruyne uh, and, and a mm. few others. But Son, yeah, we'll get the Belgium. I, I have to say, I think he really made an impact against uh, in the opening match against Ghana, uh, against Uruguay, excuse me, and against Ghana. Yeah, really found himself overshadowed, I thought, by um, the striker, botching on his name, but the striker who got the brace. Uh, for South Korea today, as well as uh, Lee Kang-in. Yes. Uh, I felt he made a massive impact coming off the bench for South Korea and has to start. Um, so I, I think that I was definitely expecting South Korea to come out and, and have a competitive uh, performance after a uh, pretty well-managed draw against Uruguay. And I felt that they did that uh and were at least able to uh, hold Ghana, uh, hold their attack uh, to not really getting uh, in themselves into dangerous situations until, of course, um, Ghana took the lead and uh, went up 2 nothing. South Korea then equalized and um, Ghana getting the 3-2 win. But I think the, the star of the show for me undoubtedly was Mohamed Kudus. Uh, yeah. you know, he has this season gone from wanting to leave Ajax because he wants regular playing time, you know, having Everton tapping him up, staying put and, you know, going up against the likes of Napoli, uh, Rangers, um, and Liverpool in the Champions League and scoring against each of them, really just uh, putting himself onto the scene and and showcasing that promise that we saw so many years ago in uh, Denmark. And he's doing it in the biggest stage in world football. This is a player who is is making himself known amid so many other uh, Ghanaian players, so many other players mm. who have switched over uh, from other national teams, such as Inyaki Williams, yeah. Empty. But he has truly emerged as the face of this Ghanaian attack. Um, so brilliant to watch, so dangerous, exploiting space. We saw that uh, against Portugal, really how much they folded after he came off uh, obviously after picking up a yellow and he did it today he he led them to a desperately needed victory and uh, they're going to be doing everything they can to to finish off uh, their group stage with a win the Inaki Williams story is unbelievable I mean they, 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 I don't know if you heard it but they were saying that his father crosses Sahara and bare feet um, got uh, asylum obviously in, in Spain in the Basque country and of course the kids were born there 
Um, and I think that's another thing about this World Cup is you hear so many of these stories about players that have come from unbelievable difficult circumstances um, to reach, you know, e even someone like Brendan Aronson, yes, didn't have the same uh, issues as far as social issues and all that there, but, you know, had to deal with this hate issue growing up and uh, he was so small in comparison to players uh, his age growing up that he was constantly overlooked, constantly bullied. And, and the, the World Cup's just filled with these unbelievable stories. I mean, it's great to see, you know, obviously both Anaki uh, playing for um, playing for Spain, his brother playing for Ghana. Um, I do want to talk to you about the US-Iran situation. Uh, because to me, this is ridiculous. And I'll say my piece. First of all, for the US to be editing the flag is, is so disrespectful. And it is not how you show support for protesters. I've, we have talked at, at nauseam on the show, Jack, Zach, about um, the social issues in Qatar, and rightly so. But um, you know, Tyler Adams was put in a situation today where he's had to answer a difficult question. And this, of course, is partly uh, response to what has been happening with, um, with 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 this idiot move of editing the flag. First of all, on the football aspect, if I'm Greg Berhalter, I want to throttle the people that did this because they've given Iran's team talk for them. I mean, if I'm if I'm Carlos Kiros, I'm putting up on the wall. I'm just there. You are. There's your team talk voice. I made this game harder for the U.S. Right. And we're not without our social issues here. And if countries were editing the flag of the United States to say support uh, abortion protesters and stuff like that, or you know BLM or things like that, that would be completely inappropriate. And the U.S. would rightfully take offence at that. Um, so this is this is first of all when you start muddying the waters like this, right? Um, you have to start accepting everything. Uh, nothing's on the not once everything's on the table, you know, nothing's off the table. Now you now you can do you, you, now players are gonna be put in a situation where they're gonna to have to respond about social issues in America that have nothing to do with them. And um and what I also believe it's going to do is be with the World Cup being here next, the US is gonna be put under increasing attention and spotlight with the issues that obviously we have here in this country that maybe other ways wouldn't have been the case um, because of the proselytizing about other countries. And obviously we're not perfect ourselves, we know that. But I'm looking at this and I'm going, this was so stupid. It was unnecessary. Um, and it, it, I don't buy it that they were doing that, but support the protesters. To me, it wreaks it, it a bigotry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Phil. I don't really know the full story. So of let me explain what they did, um, yes. Zach. So basically, what happened here on all the U.S.'s social media platforms um, and all the U.S. Soccer Federation, uh, everything that displays the Iranian flag, they removed the mention of Islamic Republic of Iran and they removed the symbol of Allah from the flag. And they said they did it to support the protesters in Iran, which to me is bullshit. 
right? Yeah. Uh, like I said, they've basically given the team talk for Iran. Um, and it reeks of bigotry to me. I don't know how that displays support for people. I don't, I don't understand how that equates to support for protesters. I don't un- uh, I, and I don't understand why the U.S. had to do it. I mean, if you want to show support for protesters, just say that. But, well, yep. well, but, but how does it equate to that? How do, I mean, that is so offensive to me. I mean, if, and I'm not a, I, Iranian, but if I was Iranian, I would be, I, 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 that to me reeks of bigotry, totally unnecessary. And yep. caused, and now put Tyler, I don't know if you saw what happened with Tyler Adams today in the press conference. Did you see it? Yeah, I did. So that, that was a consequence of what they did. And now these U.S. players are going to be asked to uh, provide so- commentary on the social issues. The, the intersectional and multi-dimensional social issues that we have here because, you know, we, we're not without protests for, for human rights. We're not without protests, for, you know, I mean, take a look at what's happened over the last four or five years in this country. We've had protest after protest after protest after protest. And, you know, I mean, we, we, lots of people around the world are appalled at the abortion um, issue. And I, I just think this was so stupid from the U.S., and I don't believe for one moment that this was about supporting protesters. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's it smells of someone butting in and trying to show support, but really just lighting a, a match and and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline. I think that the U.S. had no the U.S. whoever is responsible, whether it's the USMNT's you know Twitter account, their national team, the the entire federation. They had no right to just butt themselves into other people's business. This is something that we need to see uh, from come from the Iranian team. And they've already done what they can. They've been placed in some very tough situations. And you see the likes of, you know, England backing out of their protest, if you will, but for the threat of a yellow card a simple yellow card, whereas Iranian players are actually risking their lives by not singing the national anthem. The Iranian captain is uh, risking his life by speaking out against the atrocities that are happening in his home country. Uh, what they have done is incredibly courageous and brave, you know, and they are, they are in, in many ways in a no-win situation because no matter what, no matter what they do, there are still going to be millions of Iranians cursing their name, saying, oh, how dare you play for that national team? You know, we don't support you guys. And there are going to be the others, specifically people with with powers in the government who are saying this is ridiculous. They should be standing with us. So they've been placed in a very difficult position as footballers, um, and, and they've handled it extremely well, bouncing back uh, from that heavy defeat to England uh, by beating Wales, they're going to have all the more motivation to get a result against the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, are the U.S. going to start adding the Chinese flag uh, to support the COVID protests? You know, um, whenever LeBron James and Mesut Ozil, what have you, were um, supporting you know, they of course protesting against the Uyghurs, uh, the disgraceful treatment of Uyghurs in, in China. They recounted quickly um, because of the fiscal cost. You know, so to me, I think uh, this is this is so so wrong. And you're quite right, Zach, in saying that the Iranian players just they're 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 making the protest and they're taking enormous risk to do so. They've done, 
they've been incredibly brave. I, I had to laugh at Liverpool fans trying to compare themselves to the Iranians by saying, um, you know, oh yeah, you support Iranians, you know, protesting national anthem, but not us, as if it's analogous. Yeah, because I'm sure you're going to lose your life driving back to Merseyside, you know, for for booing the national anthem, and that's completely com uh, you know comparable to what the Iranian players are doing. I just don't see. I I can understand supporting the Iranian protest, but that does not equate to, it's not, it, it's, I don't understand the correlation. I don't understand how editing out mansions of Islamic Republic of Iran and editing out the, the, the symbol of Allah equates to support of protesters. And, and the only thing that equates to, to me, is, is rank bigotry. And I'm sorry about that, but, and this wasn't an accident. I mean, this was done, this, this U.S. Soccer Federation admitted this, that it wasn't an accident, this wasn't some idiot. This was done as, as, as a deliberate strategy. And I, I just don't understand how you can be so stupid. And, and you know, maybe if this was done in reverse, I, and we are, we're fortunate enough to live in a country where we can protest without the threat of losing our lives most of the time. But... Um, you know, in this country, in the last week, we've had a mass shooting for LGBTQ. Yet we demand the footballers go to another country and rightfully support LGBTQ rights. Yet, here, they're not safe. It's not the first time it's happened. It happened in Pulse, too. Um, you've got uh, women being threatened with prison for getting an abortion. Uh, we had a mass shooting religiously motivated in Walmart. You know, if someone was to say, if the Iranians were to stick a gun on the American flag, that would enrage people here? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's just, there's no positive end result to come of it. It smells, it, it smells of just, you know, wanting to be the main character, wanting to show oh, look at me, I'm taking a stand. The fact is, they need to stay in their lane, okay? There's a difference between, you know, doing your part and making an impact. If they were to, I don't know, send a donation to one of the victim's families, that would have been something. But here they are, editing out a flag, editing out the logo. Uh, this is not their place at all. And it's only going to uh, anger the Iranian players and make life even more difficult for... Remember this, the U.S. Soccer Federation banned their players from taking a knee during the, uh, uh, banned their players from protesting the National Anthem, if you remember, right? Whenever um, the whole Kaepernick thing happened, and now they want to pretend that they're on the side of protesters? Now, come on. Absolutely. You know, it, let's talk about the football really quick, because... Um, We've been saying for weeks on this show, uh, I've been saying that the U.S. I thought would match up well against England. I never expected the U.S. to get beaten. And as much as I love my English friends, um, my English family, one of the things that does greats lately, I'll be honest, was that some of the commentary leading up to that game. Now, Warren Barton, Jackie Oatley, I know Warren well personally, it was really condescending, right? And they were talking about Wales, first of all, and this, this bothered me, I'll be honest. And they were talking about Ashley Williams. And they were saying, 
you know, Ashley Williams had never set foot in Wales, didn't know he qualified for Wales. You know, he's English, talking about this guy being English and this guy being English. I'm going, do we need to thank England for Wales having a team? I mean, is, is that what this is about? I, I'm quite sure Declan Rice and Jack Grealish might have something to say, or John Barnes or Tony Dorigo might have something to say, or Owen Hargreaves might have something to say. They were clearly never an issue, you know. And uh, I'm going, you know, that colonialist mindset that we own you, right? And that you need to thank us for everything, and it's really our B team. We had to put up with this in Adam for years, you know. Have the paint again, us your, your Irish. You know they're essentially all English. So if you win, we'll claim it. If you lose, you're Irish. If, you know Andy Murray, Scottish tennis player, talked about this, and it's like, you know, if you don't understand two things, the difference between nationality and ethnicity, first of all, are very different. Secondly, um, this is never an issue for the uh, these people whenever. Players represent England that represented or they were qualified for other countries. I mean, Jack Grealish and Declan Rice both played for Ireland. You know, I mean, why is it not an issue? I mean, surely you should be turning around and being fair on this and going, well, here, look, you know what? And then the commentary leading up to the game was surrounded by, we're going to do this, we're going to win, it's going to be comfortable, going to be 3 4, we're going to, you know, it's going to be easy. They were laughing on TV about it. And I, I just think, like, you know, fair enough if you're a patriot, there's nothing wrong with that. But when your patriotism um, requires you to be condescending about other people and other nations, that's a bit, that's a bit, that's a bit unacceptable to me. And I, 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 thought, I thought it was really disrespectful towards Wales and the US and... Part of me wanted the US to win because of that reason, so that I could hear Warren Barton and Jackie Oatley the next day talk about, you know, what I, because they, they weren't ranching the US scheme the next day. I went very quiet on it because they were the, the US was the better team. And look, I, I've got tons, I've got lots of English family, I've got nothing against English national team. What I have in even if when, when this is done in Ireland, because there's jingoistic arseholes in Ireland too, I can't stand that, mate. I mean, we see this with Alexi Lalas here too. I mean, the, the jingoism is just so annoying. Yep. Absolutely. In general, I just find the debate over which national teams they decide to play with, I find it just so uh, uh, tiresome, you know. We see this in every country. I see it in, in Portugal. Um, people, uh, when, whenever there's a potential player who's, Thinking about uh, switching over to Portugal, you know, oh, why can't we find players who were born in Portugal, right? Well, guess what? One of the greatest Portuguese players of all time, Eusebio, uh, was born in Mozambique. Um, another of the greatest players of all time uh, for in, in Portugal's history is Pepe, born in Brazil, uh, was arguably their best player in the 2016 Euros Came in clutch today, though, playing a fantastic role in the center of defense. Um, and you're seeing other players as well make an impact. Uh, Deco, of course, in the past. But uh, currently, you've got Otavio, who I think will be a starter for Portugal going um, if, if he returns from injury. Mateus Nunes, both born in Brazil, as well as other players who could potentially join the conversation, like Wenderson Galeno. Um, so the fact is... National teams, they want to, uh, their, their job is to expand their pool of talent as, as far as it goes. 
And we're seeing that have a big impact for Ghana, you know, right? Bringing in players who are born in other countries, but for some reason, you know, feel Ghanaian. Uh, they want to represent their country. And it's something that you just can't really stick your nose into, okay? I mean, a, a few months ago, Inyaki Williams said in an interview, I would never play for Ghana. Uh, I've lived in Spain my entire life, and I would feel like uh, I'm, I'm playing a, I'm, I'm taking away a spot from an actual Ghanaian. A few months later, he's actually playing in the World Cup with Ghana. And that's something that, you know, is, is part of his personal development, right? That's something that people can change, okay? People can, you know, change which, which country they want to play in. Um, and, and I just think that for, for other people to come and say, oh, you know, you didn't want to play for Morocco in 2017, you wanted to play for France's youth teams, now you're playing in a World Cup for them, isn't that hypocrisy? That's absolutely ridiculous, um, players can feel both Mexican and American at the same time. Players can feel Welsh and English at the same time. And you know what? If Even if they feel, um, maybe if they feel 90% English and, and they feel they've, they've lived there in England their entire life and they just want the chance to play in the World Cup, well, who are we to judge them? This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, uh, yeah, they deserve... They, they deserve to do what they can to to give themselves this uh, incredible chance. Well, I, I, there's something that stinks to me about this purity test, about um, you don't qualify as an American or whatever. We had this conversation here when Jermaine Jones was being naturalized and playing for the U.S. and with Sergio Dias and everything, and you had idiots on here commentating saying, well, you know, they don't really play with the same parade that... A native-born individual, which to me is honestly so fucking ridiculous that um, I, I really wonder how these people manage to put their socks on in the morning with the, and function as human beings, because the idea that there's some type of um, you know genetic purity test or some type of patriotic test that you have to you know the, the patriotism, by the way, is you know there's no well-defined uh, explanation or, 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 or you know, it, it's something that means something different to everybody, you know, um, and I don't think it's necessary to represent your country to go out there and feel like, you know, that uh, you bleed red, white and blue. I think that there's lots of ways you can do that effectively and to police that and to say, you know, you, you're not only am I policing it for you, but I'm policing it for, for, for other people. When you try to impose an identity on someone, Zach, you have a problem, a big problem, right? And so this purity test about you're not really this, you're not, you know, I'm a, my children, for example, born and raised in America, but um, heavily identify with, with their grandmother is South American. Their grandfather is Dutch. I'm Irish, right? They speak Spanish and English, right? And these fluid, this fluid identity, they they, they embrace all of this, and 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 so they aren't one thing. They're all things. They're all. I mean, if one of my children was an athlete, they could represent four different countries, and I know that they would do so with the same pride that they would for anyone else. And this this, you know, we get this a lot in Ireland, and I and I, and it infuriates me, right? 
And it, it's specific to this country where Irish Americans would only say they're Irish. And for a, a largely indigenous population that didn't have huge immigration, um, like Ireland, um, they don't understand that because they don't, uh, and I have to explain this, you, do you not understand the difference between ethnicity and nationality? Surely you do. And by the way, the first time there's a president elected, you'll find some long lost ancestor 500 years ago and make him Irish. If there's some celebrity that calls themselves Irish that have no connection to the country, you'll gladly celebrate them. But some poor kid, some ravaged kid comes over and says they're Irish, you want to you, you wanna police that and have the, you don't pass the purity test? How fucking dare you, right? I mean, this hypocrisy, I can't stand that, sorry, my language, but this, this it's casual racism, Zach, is what it is, right? It's exactly the same nonsense that Unai Emery faces. You know, people think it's funny, the Makaman's accent. It's not funny, right? And, and, and it's casual racism, 100%. As someone who lives in another country who's had that done to me, I can tell you it's one of the most hurtful things that someone's said to me, right? I can't understand you. It's so offensive to me. Right? Because it is a statement that's laced with bigotry. Right? Your accent is a problem for me. Right? Uh, or anyone who mocks my accent will infuriate me so much I want to kill them. Right? And I've had it done in professional settings, I've had it done in personal settings, and it's never once been funny to me. Because it's never done by someone who means well. It's always done by somebody who's trying to insult you. Right? It's not funny. So, you know, to me, I think, um, I don't mean to go on the tangent, but uh, this, th th that did bother me, that the commentary, you know, that Ashley Williams wasn't allowed to be Welsh and that someone who had represented England's C team, who was an American, wasn't allowed to forget that they had represented England's C team. You know, uh, it was a woman, a female. Um, this, this uh, you know, I, I don't like that. Absolutely. Uh, Anyway, uh, what do you expect will happen in the U.S.-Iran game tomorrow? Because, in my opinion, this game may be harder than the other two. Because the U.S. go into this game as a slight favourite. They have to deal with that expectation. We have to, have to look at the bigger picture here, Zach, right? Yeah. The U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup, the last one. If they get beat by Iran tomorrow, they will have gone out of this tournament not winning a game. That's that's an awful indictment on Greg Berhalter. I know this is a young team, but they have to deal with the pressure of being favourite, expectation. How do the players handle that? And now that Iran have gotten a... Uh, will, will, will be fired up. I, I'm literally looking forward to this game. Um, where do the goals come from? And uh, what do you think will happen in this game? Yeah, Really tricky one. Um, Iran obviously come into this game with three points, USA with only uh, two points, but they have shown that they can go up against tough opposition, get a result uh, in, in their draw against England, um, but they, it's, there's, there's no sugarcoating it. They need to win. Okay, let's stop beating around the bush because if they do not win, they are not going through. Um, and it's a tricky one. I definitely think that Iran have less pressure. They were not expected to to really uh, get this far to be fighting it out for a knockout round berth at the final day. But they've done 
you know, fairly well to, to bounce back. So I would say they're almost playing with house money at this point. The U.S., on the other hand, uh, obviously they didn't make it to the last World Cup. But usually when they are in the World Cup, they are accustomed to making it past the group stage. And it would truly be uh, a massive embarrassment if they were uh, unable to to do this. Um, I think that they, you know, they've they've managed the situation fairly well. Um, considering the circumstances, they were unable to um, they were unable to get a three points against Wales, despite being the better team in the first half. They, you know, really trailed off in the final forty five, and and frankly, just did not uh, create enough chances uh, to penetrate Wales' defense and get another goal uh, before Gareth Bale's equalizer. Um, and in the England game, I thought that they were actually the better team, but uh, were unable to to get that goal either. So they have to find a way past a stubborn Iranian backline managed by Carlos Queiroz. They've also got to make sure that the likes of Meditaremi and Sardar Azmoun do not have a space to operate on the counter. So it's a very tricky proposition for the U.S. Um, right now, you know, I, I think that there are definitely a lot of positives to take from, you know, the, the first two draws. I think that we're seeing a lot of quality in midfield. Tyler Adams, uh, for me, has been their best player. But Yunus Musa also chipping in. Um, Christian Pulisic having some decent moments, but needs to get more involved, needs to be a bit more consistent throughout the 90 minutes. Um, and need another big game as well from Timothy Weah. Um, overall, I think that my biggest concern with this U.S. team is in the number nine position. They still haven't really found that guaranteed goal scorer um, in the center forward position, whether that's Jesus Ferreira, Haji Wright, Josh Sargent, and of course, of course, plenty of other players they left home, such as Jordan Pifok and Ricardo Pepe. You know, they haven't really been able to find uh, who is their best option yet. Um, and I think that, that yeah, Berhalter is still certainly... Uh, still has yet to find his best team. There's still other players like Giovanni Reina and Brendan Aronson. Yeah. Why is he not playing them, Zach? I know Reina's have fitness issues, but you need to win that game against England. You need to win the game against Wales so you're not in this situation. Um, And and I noticed Reina's comments after the game against Wales was a bit chippy. You know, it was basically him saying... I wanted to play, but I wasn't selected. It wasn't, you know, we support the coach. You know, my opportunity will come. It felt like a disappointed comment. Um, Brendan Aronson, these are creative players. Um, You know, maybe I can understand you being a bit reticent to open up against England, but uh, Wales, you know, probably a 50-50 game. I think some some of the commentary about Wales was a bit disrespectful because Wales are a good side. They're a good team. I know they were poor last 10 minutes against Iran. Um, and I, it, it is something that I also want to mention in that Tyler Adams interview. Um, the individual that asked him the question was from Iran and was quite um, forceful about the fact that people, and I, I've been guilty of this, who pronounce Iran, Iran um, is not pronouncing the name of the country right, it's Iran. So um, I, I know we, that's something that matters to us. So um, I want to train myself to say that properly um so uh but when i watched that game you know at first game i thought us missed an opportunity to make these other two games easier but um now they have a situation where 
honestly, I think this is a really, really dangerous game. And I know the hardest thing to do in football to me is still to produce goal scorers. I think once the US start producing goal scorers on a regular basis, they'll have made it as a football nation. Um, started out with just being able to produce goalkeepers. Now they're producing players in other parts of the field that um, are at a very high level, but still not the forwards yet. Um, huge responsibility on Pulisic to deliver. This is a kid, Zach, that um, in the US has been extremely hyped as some type of superstar. Well, this is because it comes to the territory. This is the time where he has to do a Landon Donovan Algeria. This is the time where he has to show up and do something that immortalizes him, I suppose, in US soccer history. Yeah, 100%. Look, I think that Christian Pulisic in, in the Wales game, for me, that summed up the past few years for him because he had a very good moment setting up Timothy Wales' opening goal, but eventually just sort of started to, I don't know, see the game go past him. Um, and that's to be expected. That's a product of the past few years. Um when you're a player who is not getting into the starting lineup, who has to make work with 20, 30 minutes, you become an inconsistent footballer. Your flaws go unpolished. And, and you know, they, they, I think that we're seeing Pulisic, it's, it's, it's in terms of inconsistency, that has been obviously the biggest downfall of him at Chelsea so far. He's had some great moments, like his time in Project Restart, and so many clutch goals, but overall has not really managed to lock down the starting spot. And that has its impact um, it, in when he's in international duty for the U.S., when he's guaranteed a starting spot, because you're going to have good moments and then times where you kind of fly off the radar. I did feel like that was his case against Wales. And I've, for me, that was a lot more disappointing than the England game. Okay, a point is, I think, disappointing uh, considering the fact that we were the better team against England and we, we had a few chances, but fair enough, it's not the end of the world. I was very disappointed um, by failing to get, a, get the three points against Wales, though, because I think that uh, it was definitely a microcosm of Greg Berhalter's time in charge. We, we were mm -hmm. uh, the much better team in the first half Right, we got the opener, but overall weren't able to uh, pin them back enough. weren't able to make them pay. Uh, the sub of of Kiefer Moore at halftime, we all knew it was coming. That completely changed the game for Wales. And Berhalter was uh, slow to react. Didn't make the changes fast enough. I was very puzzled uh, as to see why Giovanni Reina didn't come on and Jordan Morris did. Um, so yeah, once again, uh, Berhalter costing us with with that. I think that his initial game plan against Wales, just like it was against England, it went well. But once again, I think that he probably could have made changes earlier against England um, to give his chance. But yeah, it's all to play for against Iran. They've Is his job on the line tomorrow? Um, if he loses, I don't think he keeps his job. I don't. I don't think it is. I. Th I don't think so. I mean. I, you don't think he, he? You don't think his job is on the line tomorrow? You think he'll keep it if the U.S. get knocked out? The seats are all relative. Okay, if U.S. is to lose like four nothing to Iran, then Iran, um, yeah, I would probably say sacked. But for example, if he were, if 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 this team were to lose three two with a last second winner from Mediterranean, 
you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that they stack Berhalter, especially when they took a year to find him, uh, to, 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 you know, find the new coach, Sierra, and it did seem kind of like a long-term hire. He has already uh, brought home silverware for the United States, and uh, I do think there's a reason to believe that he will be counted on for, for the next few years with the U.S. guaranteed a place in the upcoming World Cup. Um, but it, it's an interesting one for sure. I, I think that um, there, the, the trust in Burhalter still fairly high. And, um, yeah, I, I don't see him. I don't think that if, if the U.S., if they were to draw or to lose a close game, I don't think he would be stacked. Here's the thing about this country, Zach. This country is... The winner is everything. The loser is nothing. And f- this happens every World Cup where you get the Colin Cowards and you get the other mainstream sports broadcaster, Jim Rome, talking about football while the World Cup is on, which is coverage that the USSF would have died for, right? would have given anything for. He is going to get viewed very, very harshly on a lot of these big mainstream sites um, that are vital to the growth of the sport in this game if they lose, if the US lose tomorrow. Uh, I even heard that criticism after the England game, that it was boring, it was this, it was that. you know. And of course, this is people who don't really understand the game. I think that the US will fear that uh, one thing that can't happen is the 2026 World Cup is anything like you know, previous World Cups, it has to be a competitive US team. And this is a country that defines its success through the success of its national team, not through its club teams. I think whether he should or he shouldn't is irrelevant to me. Um, I don't know if he should or he shouldn't. I don't have an opinion either way, but I think if he loses tomorrow, the US Soccer Federation will be under enormous pressure to blame somebody. And Because one of the things they're not going to want is focus on all the same talking points that are going to come up. Club soccer in this country, pay to play, uh, coaching, you know, youth development, you know, all the stuff that will get thrown out again. They're not going to want that focus. They're going to want to turn around and say, this is right, it's him who's to blame. And, and you know, that's the cruelty of football. But we shall see, my friend, on this very topic. Or do you have? Do you want to say something, Matt? Or no? Listen, I mean, I... Listen, I, I have... Uh, not have the U.S. getting out of this group. I thought it was going to be England and Wales um, advancing. And I've been very critical of Burhalter. I think that his flaws have definitely come to the fore in the first few games. But uh, with that being said, like, here's what Stephen A. Smith or Colin Coward have to say. They talk about soccer once every four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, their opinion has, abs- has as much... Uh, value is my grand. No, of course not. They don't understand the game. I mean, I, I obviously, for them, it would be something, you know, people are going to, more people are going to be saying, you know, why are we trusting Burhalter? And I, frankly, I thought it was always humorous how uh, the U.S. spent over a year trying to find their new coach only to hire someone with Burhalter's track record. With that being said, you have to ask yourself when this question, whenever you're thinking about hire, firing a manager, who are we going to replace? Um, so, I mean, you, you look at the potential pool, 
Jesse Marsh is coaching in the Premier League. Then you've got some other American managers who, like Berhalter, are untested and, and who have only really uh, coached in MLS. So, you know, can, can the U.S. Uh, be a big hitter and attract one of the biggest names in world management? I'm not so sure they can. Um, but, but it's well, definitely- Jesse Marsh comes available. Yeah, but if, okay, if Jesse Marsh, I, I don't think that, um, right now I don't think that threat in, at a threat of losing his job at Leeds. You know, that Leeds are, I think they've done fairly well given the circumstances. Obviously, he needs to get out of this relegation fight, but uh, I definitely think that managing Leeds is more of an attractive job. Is a more attractive job than managing the. Oh, absolutely, definitely. But I think before that, Liverpool game, Zach, he was in trouble. And they beat Bournemouth. They beat Liverpool and they beat Bournemouth. Um, uh, I think if they'd have lost that game and lost it heavily, he would have been in big trouble. I think your uh, AirPods or something are cutting out a bit. Um, You're a bit chipped. A bit. uh, There's a bit of latency. Um, Before we go, I want to ask you about uh, Lionel Messi because Lionel Messi is going to be coming to MLS. Uh, Regardless of whether he's at the end of his career or not, I have two questions for you. One, I'm not sure if you saw Canel Alvarez's comment towards Lionel Messi where he said, God help him if I get him after his disrespect towards Mexico. Um, So will he survive Canel Alvarez finding him? (laughs) Maybe maybe that will change his mind. But... uh, It'll possibly Sergio Busquets could come too, but um, Lionel Messi, the MLS, what's your take on that, my friend? Listen, I think that I, I, I think that if Messi were to join MLS, I don't think he would announce it in the middle of the season. I think that this chapter is very much still ongoing with Paris Saint-Germain. Um, he in, endured a difficult first season of adaptation in, in Ligue 1 but really bounced back and is playing some of his best football uh, in a while for, for PSG. I think that uh, he's still got plenty in the tank, right? We saw that in, in the recent World Cup match against Mexico. We've seen that for PSG. I do feel that if he were to leave PSG without a Champions League, his time there uh, would be considered a failure, no matter how many points they win in the league, you know, no matter what else they do. If he doesn't bring the Champions League back to, if he doesn't bring the the, if he doesn't bring Paris Saint Germain their first ever Champions League, you know there there's always going to be that what if that that asterisk associated with his time there. Um, so I do think that if I were Messi, I'd be staying at PSG. You know, you've still got uh, plenty of time at the top. You've you know you've age hasn't necessarily affected your game the way it has other stars you're not missing that much uh game time due to injuries you're still playing an important role for the national team maybe it's not necessarily time to take that step down and maybe if you wait another year you'll get a champions league and you'll be able to go to inter miami right with that um that that trophy under your belt but i i do think that is a possibility that is very much in the back of his mind i would i definitely expect messi uh, to close out his career in Inter Miami, uh, that is the way it's shaping up, and I think that uh, they are in an, an advantageous position to do so, having lost. Um, I believe they have all of their uh, designated player slots available, with Gonzalo Higuain leaving Miami. Obviously, a very attractive destination, and the fact that 
you know, they, they will eventually be ringing in a new stadium in the heart of Miami rather than just Fort Lauderdale. Uh, certainly something that, uh, that, that will excite Messi. Um, and I think as well, uh, there's that, that, that uh, appeal similar to Paris Saint-Germain of wanting to, to live glory, right? Inter Miami, uh, you know, they, they've finally gotten to the playoffs um, and, and really had a good, uh, their, their first successful year this, this time around. Can they take that next level? I think that Messi will be crucial to that. All right, last quick question. Where does Ronaldo go? That is, this might sound like cop-out, that's something that's going to be determined over the next four or five years. Do you think he stays in Europe? If Ronaldo has a good World Cup, I think he'll find a tier, shall we say, tier two, tier three European team such as Roma, such as Sporting. If he doesn't... Uh, Did you say Roma's tier two? They're my football manager team. I'm offended. <laughs> They're a great club, though, don't get me wrong. But um, I actually, I wonder if Roma would be a potential option. You know, Tammy Abraham has had some struggles. And, um, he has had, you know, plenty of... You're cutting out on me, Zach. I don't know if it's my earphones or if it's Sorry. yours, but you're they're cutting out on me. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. So, no, I, I do think that Roma could be a potential option for, you know, phenomenal city to live in. A, a team that has not really had any major silverware for quite some time, but has such a massive fan base. Team that, yeah, that, uh, that, that are looking for a proven goal scorer. Tammy Abraham uh, not having the best of seasons after a strong first year in Roma. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also the factor that Ronaldo has played with various players in, in Roma, such as uh, Rui Patricio, Nemanja Matic, um, of course, he knows the manager very well, Mourinho. He knows, knows Jose Mourinho very well. I don't know. I, I wonder if Roma, obviously, he'd have to take a massive wage cut, but I, I wonder if Roma could be an option. But look, I think that Ronaldo, he, he hasn't been great, but he's, he started the World Cup fairly well compared to what we've become accustomed to the past few months at Manchester United. Oh, he has, I have um, to say, he has done, um, and I can't hear him. Yeah, there's so. plenty of room for improvement, for sure. I mean, we saw that early chance squandered early on in the uh, Ghana game, but nevertheless bounced back with a penalty won and a penalty scored. Um, and despite not getting on the score sheet today, I think was was very confident, right? We saw that chest pass early on and making himself known. And also, you know, free to, you know, go, get, get off the, um, go back to the bench. That's something that I think is, is going to be so massive for, both Portugal and whatever club Ronaldo plays in. You know, there can't be any more of these spoiled brat tantrums that we've seen at Manchester United. Ronaldo needs to be uh, be a team player and be be fine with sitting on the bench some games and, and dropping off, right? Um, and, and he did that, fair enough. But I think that it's there's, there's a very thin line between where Ronaldo could be potentially headed. Is it going to be... A team that's that's a, a league that's in development and that wants him more for his marketing ability than his athletic ability, right? A league such as, you know, the Qatari Stars League or MLS. Um, or is it going to be a top European side? I think that's a question that 
really will only be uh, answered after the next few games. If Ronaldo can, uh, you know, keep building on this positive start and lead Portugal far, I, I think there's a good chance he finds a, a decent European side. Yeah, we, we shall see. He had a decent European side and he dealt with all the things you're, he, he was asked to deal with all the things that you're saying he's going to deal with somewhere else and not have to take a pay cut. Um, I don't know how this situation benefits him, but we shall see, my friend. Zaggy, we'll leave it there, brother. Thank you as always. And uh, we'll be back again next week. Enjoy the rest of the games. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Take care, folks. See you, mate.